church, let's open our Bibles together this morning to the book of First Chronicles. In the Old Testament, we're making our way through the entire Bible, book by book, and we learned in week one of the study that the Bible is one story. The Bible has one hero. The entire Bible is about Jesus. It is God's story, and we've made our way through 12 books of the Bible together this year. And I just want to tell you, it has is, it is warmed my heart, my intellect, my emotions. Every part of my being has been stirred by God's Word, and I pray that it is having an impact on our lives. Understanding the overarching story of Scripture, the overarching sovereignty of God's eternal plan for all the ages. It should shape how we view this world that we live in, and it should shape how we live our lives when we understand that God is in control. And I just want to be honest with you. There's something about a church that preaches through books in the Bible because what it does week after week is it grounds us in the scripture. We live in a world that is anything but grounded. This world is chaotic. It changes day by day, and we drift further and further from the truth. I resonate with the prophet that, that said truth lies dead in the street. I feel like that sometime in our culture, but I also know that God always has a remnant. He always has his people who are believing his word, following his word. And Jesus Christ said he was building his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So we've made it through 12 books this year and we're covering two books today, first and second Chronicles. And I want to say right up front, I acknowledge this is probably nobody's favorite book in the Bible in here this morning. This is, this is one of the books that has been accused of being boring. Now, I 100% disagree with that, and I think I can prove it this morning. But there are times when you're reading through daily plans, or if you just open to that and you start reading, it can be a little bit confusing and it can feel a little bit like homework because a chronicle is written history. Is there anyone in here who just absolutely loves history? I absolutely love history. Anybody in here this eh, history is just not your thing. You don't get too excited by history. Yes, yeah, some people feel that way and history can feel boring and tedious. But I want to remind you that this is God's word. And the reason this book a lot of times isn't given a solid chance is because it starts out with nine chapters of genealogies. Nine chapters of genealogies. And so for this morning, for your reading pleasure and listening pleasure, I'm going to read all nine chapters of the genealogies and pronounce all the names correctly. Just kidding. That is not going to happen. I'm not even going to try it. But there's... Yeah, there's a reason why this is actually in the Bible, and it's a good time to remind us of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, which says, all scripture is given by inspiration. It's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's some... There's some good reasons why these books can be difficult to read. The first one is that we don't know these people. 
They're historic people. Now, you probably grew up like I did, hearing stories of Moses and Joshua and Joseph and all these different heroes from the past. David, shepherd boy David, King David, and Solomon, all these different heroes. But we, we don't know these people. There's something different about hearing a story about someone that you know personally versus reading about a historical figure. We don't know these places. I told you, I've probably said it every sermon since I got back from Israel, but going to Israel opened my eyes to realize some of the things that I'd never understood before about Scripture. When you see the places and you experience the places and the culture, it changes everything. But we don't know these people. We don't know these places. And for most of us, this isn't our national history. We grow up hearing American history. We learn about the Civil War, World War I, World War II, all the different things, the Revolutionary War, how our nation was formed, and all the different things. And there's a sense of patriotism, ownership, and pride, which I think is right. But this isn't our national history. This is another people. Also, many times we read the Old Testament out of context. We don't understand the setting. We don't understand the purpose. We don't understand the people, the place. So a lot of times we find this reading difficult. So I want to start out with some context this morning and help you understand some things that we need to know before I start going through this book. Number one, this was originally one book. This is originally one book. We divided it uh, basically to make it a little bit shorter to read through. And, and a lot of times it, it's, it helps break it down for us. So it was originally one book. It was originally the last book in the Hebrew Old Testament. And we're going to understand why in a few minutes. But it was the final book of the Hebrew Old Testament before the New Testament began being written, before Jesus came. After this, this book was written, there was about 400 years of silence, we believe. So this book is written post-exile. This was... After the children of Israel were exiled to Babylon, and after Jesus, God brought them back to the land, King Cyrus made the decree, they returned to the land, Ezra begins working in the temple, and Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds the wall. This book was written after that. This book covers all Hebrew history between the creation of man all the way to their return from exile. So the entire Old Testament is recapped in these books. So I think it's important to understand that. Also, there's a really important thing we cannot miss in these books, and that's that the content of Chronicles reflects on Moses' writings in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, through the power of the Holy Spirit, prophesied and made predictions about the future of God's chosen people, about Israel. And here are some things that we see fulfilled in Chronicles that Moses had prophesied over a thousand years, almost a thousand years before this actually happens. The first one is the anointing of a righteous king. That's in Deuteronomy 17. The establishment of a temple where God's name dwells. That was in Deuteronomy 12. Prosperity when Israel obeys God under David and Solomon, Deuteronomy 28. Exile when Israel disobeys God, Deuteronomy 28. And then restoration to the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
So this means that God is fulfilling his promises that had been made a millennium earlier. So God is in control. God is sovereign. And I want to remind you before we dive into these books together that these books are not the chronicles of the kings. These are not the chronicles of the Israelite people. It shows us their history, but these books are the chronicles of God himself. They chronicle his people, God's covenants, God's deeds, and God's faithfulness to his people even when they are not faithful to him. The entire Bible is a record of God. It's his story. It's about his wonderful, mighty deeds and his works that he has done. The heavens declare the glory of God. His word declares the glory of God. And we need to stand in awe this morning of all that is recorded in First and Second Chronicles because it's been given to us to remind us. So the outline of the book of the books of Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter one through verse nine gives us the genealogy from Adam to David. This is really important for the Israelite people. And remember, they've been in exile for 70 years, taken away from their home taken away from their faith, their culture, from their temple. Sacrifices can't be offered. They can pray towards Jerusalem like Daniel did, and uh, they can do these different things, but they have been removed. They didn't have, most, most normal people would not have had readily access to the word of God. So imagine after 70 years of living in a pagan society in a foreign land, these people came back not understanding who they were. And so this book was written from the other books of the Bible and the other books of the Old Testament that had been recorded. They found these books and this book was written as a recap to let the people know who they were. So it goes from Adam to David in 1 Chronicles 1 through 9. David rules and unites Israel chapter 10 through 29. Then in 2 Chronicles 1 through 9, Solomon builds his temple and then chapter 10 through 36, we have from Jerusalem all the way through Babylon, the exile. And then the very final part in 36 is King Cyrus making the proclamation for them to return. So that's the outline. I want you now to think about the themes of this book. This is, this is what we need to understand about this book. A lot of times we don't see this when we zoom in. And, and focus on one small section. But when you zoom out and do overviews of books of the Bible and see it through the lens of the entire Bible, these things start making a whole lot of sense. Number one, the first thing that we see in this book, these books, is the theme of exile. The theme of exile. This is a major theme in Scripture. Think about the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, what happens? Adam and Eve have fellowship with God. They walk with God. They live in this perfect creation. There's no sin. As soon as they fall into sin, as soon as they believe the lie, given to the temptation, rebel against God, what happens to them? They are exiled from the garden. And this is a theme from chapter three that's going to echo throughout all the books of the Bible, all the way till Revelation, when ultimately God undoes this exile and he is reunited with his people in a garden. It's, it's an amazing, amazing story. But then Israel, not only Adam and Eve in the garden, but Israel, we see that they are exiled to Babylon. 
Remember in the Garden of Eden when they were exiled, Adam and Eve were kicked out, and then we begin reading the story, stories of their children. That leads up to the formation of a really important city in the Bible. That city was called Babel. And that was where all the people ultimately ended up. And they were gathered, the majority of the population of the world was gathered at the city. And then when we see Israel exiled, where does God send them back to? He sends them back to Babylon. If you'll remember, God called Abraham to leave Babylon. He, he lived in Ur of the Chaldees right outside of Babylon. God called him out of Babylon to the promised land as a punishment. God sends Israel back to Babel, back to Babylon. They're exiled there. Exile is the human condition apart from God. This is what we end up with when we rebel against God, when we don't submit to his will. Jesus came to redeem us from the fall. He came to redeem us from exile. But even as believers, are we home yet? No, we're not. We are living in exile right now, longing for our home. And one day, believers who are called sojourners or exiles in this world, we're waiting for our true home. So in this book, Everything is leading up to the fulfillment of God's promise that he had made a thousand years before that they would be exiled. The second theme that we see in this book is the theme of identity. And this is something that all Christians need to stop and think about. Every one of us this morning need to pause and think about this theme. Chronicles was written after the return from exile to remind this new generation of their identity. They needed to remember, first of all, their God. Who he was, what he had done. He is the author of their story. They needed to remember their place in God's story. How many times do we as believers, as sojourners in this world, we forget who we are. We forget that this world is not our home, that we're not home yet. We begin to live and act like the culture around us and God has to do something in our lives as Pastor Earl was talking about where God draws us back to himself. They needed to remember their place in the story. They needed to know where they came from, who they were, why they were here, and where they were going. Those are worldview questions. They're identity questions. It's the questions that every single human being asks and how you answer those questions determines how you live your life and your eternal destiny. Where we came from, who we are, where we're going, and why we are here. This book was written to recap all the deeds of God throughout all of history to remind Israel of their identity. Because remember when they came back, the walls were torn down. Remember when they came back, the, the temple was in disrepair. Things had to be done so they could even offer sacrifices and worship properly. They had to rediscover the word of God. And the Bible tells us as Ezra stood on a platform in front of all the people and he began to read the words of the Lord. That they had 
basically not heard their entire lives because they were raised in exile. Very few of them would have gone into exile and returned. Most of them were raised, born and raised in exile. And as they came back, they heard the word of the Lord proclaimed. They wept. And God worked a great revival in them because they remembered their identity. I wonder if any of us in here this morning is struggling with our identity as a believer. We get caught up on so many other things. Even working in a church, we can get caught up on, on so many different aspects of duties and, and workflow and tasks and totally forget about the God that we worship. Even if you don't work in a church, many times it can become all about going to small group, going to Sunday school, going to Sunday morning worship. And we check that box. Christianity is not checking a box. We don't gather together to check a box. We gather together to worship God, to encourage one another, to be equipped through the proclaiming of God's word and to go out into all the world and make disciples. The work begins when we walk out of these doors. But we come in here to remember who we are and whose we are. We remember our identity. The third theme that we see, and I'm going to have to start moving quickly through these. The third theme that we see are the covenants. We see God's covenant with Abraham. We're reminded of that. God promised Abraham an offspring, a nation, a land, and that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. If you don't understand that promise, if you don't understand that context, you don't understand the Bible. You have to understand the promise that God made to Abraham. These nine chapters of genealogies are more than a list of names. They're the stories of God's faithfulness. It's a miracle that those names existed, that those people existed, because how many kings and pharaohs and rulers tried to wipe out God's people? Inspired by a satanic power and authority, God's people were threatened at every turn of their existence, yet God's faithfulness, even after they'd been away for 70 years and his enemies rejoiced and thought, there is no Israel, God brings back a remnant. There's God's covenant with Abraham. Then there's his covenant with Israel. God calls Israel out of Egypt, makes them a people for himself. And through the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, Israel is set apart from the world as God's people. And we're told that if they obeyed, they would be blessed. And if they disobeyed, they would be punished. And we see that played out in these books. This, these books show the high point of blessing under David and Solomon and the low point of Israel's history while they're under God's curse in exile. But the law of God also promises, the Mosaic Covenant also promises the restoration of Israel, which is where Chronicles closes. Then we see God's covenant with David. There's no book in Scripture that focuses more on the dynasty of King David, like the books of Chronicles. God promised that an heir of David would be on the throne of Jerusalem forever. The only way that can be fulfilled is through Jesus Christ. We see that God has been faithful to the house of David generation after generation in the book of 2 Chronicles. Then we also have to pause and think about 
the new covenant. All these covenants were leading up to something else. They were leading up to the new covenant. Jesus is the son of David, the seed of Abraham, and he's the fulfillment of the law. The original audience didn't understand the full impact of the Messiah that was coming, but they knew he was coming. They knew the deliverer that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He was coming to crush the head of the serpent, to redeem his people. And all the prophetic promises throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Psalms and the prophets, the wisdom books, they all pointed forward to Jesus. And all of the other covenants were leading up to him. And on this side of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, we can look back on the book of first and second books of first and second chronicles and see that these covenants that we're reminded of, they're leading us somewhere. They're leading us to Jesus. And we have more reasons to find encouragement and joy and hope in the promises of God through the stories of first and second chronicles. The next theme that we see in these books is the temple. This is one of the mega themes in this book. The temple of God is the main location of interest. In the temple, David plans it, Solomon builds it, kings are crowned in the temple, prophets are killed in the temple, the law is rediscovered in the temple. The temple is center stage in the drama of Israel's history and the books of First and Second Chronicles. So I want to read you the progression of the temple. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 3. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is, you, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Verse 12. Solomon shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. Second Chronicles chapter 34. When Israel was disobedient, we see that God says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger and with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. That temple was destroyed and it had to be rebuilt when the people returned from exile. Chapter 36, verse 14. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place but they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on the young man or virgin old man or aged he gave them all into his hands. Verse 18. And all the vessels of the Lord God, great and small, and all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king 
and of his princes. All these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all of its places with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So he makes mention in this that this had been prophesied 200 years before by Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 25 verse 11. Remember God gives him warnings down throughout history. A thousand years before he had prophesied. The prophets came, they killed the prophets. Finally Jeremiah prophesies in first chapter 25 verse 11 the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of babylon 70 years then after 70 years are completed i will punish the king of babylon and that nation the land of the chaldeans for their iniquity declares the lord making the land an everlasting waste i will bring upon that land all the words that i've uttered against it Everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations for many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them. And I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So the temple is the center stage of the drama of God's redemption and God's eternal plan that is playing out through the pages of the Old Testament. The next thing that we see in this book is the theme of hope. It doesn't end with the children of Israel in exile. We see God's hope. We see God's promise. Because God doesn't forget about his promises when his people are unfaithful. He punishes his people. He corrects his people. But he promises that he will bring them back. I want to continue reading in Jeremiah. It says, Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, no, this is, I'm sorry, this is the end of 2 Chronicles ch chapter 36. The end of the books of Chronicles. Verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of this earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Fulfilling the promise that God had made. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Did you ever know that that's the context that these verses were written in? Almost every Christian is familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, But he's writing this to the people about their return from exile. Promising them while they're in exile that one day they will be returned. 
as they would have heard these words, remember these words in exile that Jeremiah had written 200 years earlier, their hearts would have been stirred up in them that God had not forgotten them. And then when they returned to the land, they could look back and say, God kept his promise. And this is what God says to them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So we see this book ends after great tragedy with hope and the people return. And God, in his wisdom and providence, allows this book to be written as a recap to remind them of their identity, to remind them of the covenants, to remind them that exile is not forever, to remind them that there is another temple that is being built in fulfillment of prophecy and that there is always hope because God always keeps his promises. Now, we've already touched on this, but I want to move on to our Christ connection. Every book we've been studying through, we've been looking at the Christ connection. And really, this is the one main point of teaching through every book of the Bible to see how it connects to Jesus. Again, in Jeremiah, who wrote about the prophecy before it happened. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like that covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that I broke, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Chapter 33, verse 14, messianic promises. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of the prophets. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. We're all a lot more familiar with this passage. And Jesus took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, God said in the Old Testament, I will make a new covenant. Jesus said my sacrifice on the cross, which is what the cup represented, his shed blood that was getting ready to happen. He said, this is the new covenant that was prophesied. I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And in this, we see the gospel. 
We see the gospel in this book like we see the gospel in every other book in the Bible. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. He is the Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is our creator. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is the one who is returning. He is our king. He is the righteous judge of all the earth. One day he's coming back to set everything right. And we long for that day. And we say with the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts are stirred but that it doesn't just stop there. Lord, I pray that you would stir something up in us to remind us that just as you were God in the days of King David and King Solomon and the days of the exiles returning according to your promise to the land, in the days of Jesus coming, you're just as much God today as you were then. And God, I ask that you would stir our hearts up to let us know that we are sojourners. We are living in exile. This world is not our home. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to purify our hearts, to cleanse our hands, to stop being double-minded, to stop worshiping idols, and to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to be a shining light set on a hill, and to share the gospel wherever we go. God, I pray that that would be the testimony of the church that you're building here in Asheville. Jesus, please help us to focus on you and you alone. May this church be fully centered and focused on Jesus Christ. Jesus, you promised to build your church and please give us the wisdom to allow you to do your work. Don't let us get ahead of you. Don't let us use human wisdom God, keep our hearts submitted to your word. And as we grow deeper in your word, as we grow closer to you, and as we grow closer together, may you send people as they're attracted to the love and the community that is growing in this place. Lord, we ask all these things according to your promises, according to the promises that you made and the promises that always come true. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.